Amen. Well, again, good morning. Let me say to you again, Merry Christmas. I hope and pray that you are having a joyous season uh, as of this moment and as of this point. Uh, I tell you, it's nice walking around the neighborhood, seeing Christmas lights up, uh, neighbors still decorating. Um, It is getting serious in our neighborhood now. As I was talking to one of my neighbors yesterday as they were putting out their decorations, and uh, man, it was just a fun time being with uh, my children, our neighbor's children, walking around, looking at Christmas lights, enjoying the season, uh, being re- being reminded ultimately of why we even be able to celebrate this season, which is because of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. So we are now in week three of our Advent season, walking through our series that we have titled Psalms of the Messiah, where we have been looking into the Psalms that really sing praise and declare the good news of King of King Jesus, uh, the news that we now know and live in, the news that the psalmist anticipated and hoped for. And, and now today we share in that same joyful anticipation as we long for the second coming of Christ. Now again, as a reminder, when we speak of Advent, we are saying Christ has come and Christ is coming again. So would you just say that with me? Uh, Christ has come and Christ is coming again. Now, we have already seen over the past two weeks that uh, the coming of the Messiah, this eager anticipation that was hoped for in the Psalms that we now live in today, has revealed to us the hope and the love for the world that has come through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. And again, spoiler alert, we are now living in light of the birth of Jesus Christ. We are now living in light of the power of the resurrection. He has come, and through his actions and his words, we now know and share and have the opportunity to share the goodness that is the love and the hope that we now have because of Jesus Christ. So for us, we Again, unlike the psalmist, are not looking forward to the the first coming of Christ. Rather, we're looking forward to uh, the second coming of Christ. And so living in light of that, we now eagerly await his return. And as we eagerly and joyfully await his return, God has granted us and blessed us with the opportunity to make him known. And so my hope and prayer for all of us is that we are doing that very thing today. And so I want to say to you this morning, and I normally don't do this, uh, but often people have asked, uh, Pastor, have you ever directed a sermon towards a person? Uh, The answer to that question is no, I have not ever. However, if I ever do, I will tell you when that time comes. And so here we are, that time has come. Okay, so if you are here today and you are just in a good season of life, Everything is going well. You are seeing blessing upon blessing upon blessing. There are no home issues, no work issues, no family issues. I'd love to talk to you about that one. If everything is just going well for you today, then this sermon is for you. If you're here today and you're grieving, you're grieving a broken home, you're grieving a broken relationship, You're grieving the loss of a loved one in this season. And for whatever reason, the holidays are just just incredibly hard for you. Then let me encourage you to dial in because today this message is for you. If you're here today and you're dealing with the frustrations of work or the frustrations that come with having a family or an extended family, if you're not waiting with joyful anticipation of being with family, then let me encourage you and say that today, this 
message is for you. If you're here today, and maybe there's an uncertainty about what 2023 is going to bring. If you're here today and you can look around and say, honestly, 2022 was harder than the COVID year two years ago. Then let me encourage you today and say, this message is for you. You see, today we are going to move forward wherever we are because that is what life does. It continues to move forward. Why? Not because life demands it or dictates it, because God has ordained it such. All of life is moving towards judgment. All of life is moving for the believer towards what is to come at the, uh, at the hope and the celebration of the resurrection that we will then see in the second coming of Jesus Christ. All of life is moving towards eternity and it never stops for a second. And so in light of the fact that life is moving forward, we are going to move forward. And I hope and pray that today, wherever you find yourself, that this morning, in light of the coming of King Jesus, we as believers today, no matter where we are, in celebration or in heartache, we can see that we now have reason to sing for joy. You see, as Christians today, do we even recognize that we have reason to sing? Do we even recognize today that we have reason to be joyous? Now, I want to encourage you to join me, if you would, in in Psalm 146, because that's going to be our text this morning. And here we will see that the psalmist is going to help us see why, as believers in Christ, waiting on the second coming, like Old Testament believers, waiting on the, the birth of the Messiah, how we can now join them in singing for joy as we await the Messiah who will come again, not as just Savior and Messiah, but will come again as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I would encourage you to join me in Psalm 146. And we are going to begin reading halfway through the psalm in verse 5. Now, once you have found your place there, if you can and you are able, I would invite you now to stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Now, this is the psalmist writing in Psalm 146, beginning in verse 5. He writes... Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. Now, again, for our purposes this morning, we are only going to be focusing on the second half of this psalm in order to hopefully understand the joy that we now have as 
we walk through this Advent season. And so let me encourage you, whether it be this afternoon or this evening or uh, in, your, in your quiet times, first thing on Monday morning, I would encourage you to go back and read all of Psalm 146 in its entirety and just see the truth and the goodness and the beauty that comes from knowing the joy that we now have in God. Now, uh, just to kind of give you some backstory a little bit, Psalm 146 is actually a part of a collection of Psalms. The last the last five psalms, to be exact, that are considered the Hallel psalms or the, the Hallelujah psalms, if you will. Now, like the rest of this particular collection, Psalm 146 opens and closes with an imperative call to praise the Lord. Now, again, I don't, I don't know where, where you are in life right now. I don't know what it is you're experiencing. Again, whether it's blessing, whether it's, whether it's burden, whatever it is, whether it's increasing frustrations or concerns about the future or maybe even concerns that you're having in this present day, I hope that you can read Psalm 146 along with 147, 148, 149, and again with 150 and see that we as believers in Christ still have reason to praise the Lord. And so as we look to God, we can see that because of Him, we have reason to sing. We can see that because of Him, we have all the reason that we need to be joyous. So this morning, let's look to the text again with the psalmist and ask the question, why today as believers in Christ can we now sing for joy? And the psalmist is going to give us three reasons today why we can sing for joy. Verses 5 and 6. The psalmist teaches us that we can sing for joy because God is the creator. Now again, this is a statement that we already know to be true. So if you're looking for something brand new today, let me encourage you to take a step out of the deep end of the pool and step back in and just receive the encouragement that we know to be true today. And that's this, God is the creator of all things. You see, the words of this psalms are actually echoed when you go all the way back to the, uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 3, when speaking about the Word and how the Word was with God and the Word was, was God, we read that all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In other words, a simple translation is this, God did it all. God created all things. And so this is literally the truth that we have from our text this morning. Notice verse 5. It opens by saying this, Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob. Now again, the word blessed here could also mean happy, but not just simple happiness that comes and goes with a fleeting moment, but rather it is a joy that lasts beyond a single moment. It's a joy that sustains us through anything and everything that we may or may not be going through. Now more on this sustaining ability of God coming in a moment, but I want us to, to really understand and sink our teeth into the fact that we have been called as believers in Christ to live with joy and not happiness. Now, why would that be so important for us today? Well, the answer to that question is because when we look around this world, everyone is seeking happiness. In fact, if we walk around as Christians and ask this question, would you like joy? Their answer will be no. Would you like to know how you can receive joy? Their answer, the world's answer, will be no. Why? Because the world is seeking an immediate satisfaction that they don't realize will come and go and leave them longing for more. Rather, as Christians, what I believe we need to be doing, that we're going to see in our text, 
is leading people to joy. Helping them to realize that your momentary happiness is just that. It's momentary. It's fleeting. It will come and it will go. Now, does that mean we should be bitter people walking around, drinking bad, bitter coffee all day, every day? No, that's a waste of time. There is good coffee out there, friends. Please drink responsibly. Okay? Rather, what we are called to is to be people of joy. To lead others to the joy that we know. To walk with them as we walk in our own journey that leads to joy. Now again, looking at this text, blessed is he, happy is he, or better yet, joyous is he whose help is the God of Jacob. Now notice the psalmist here is referencing back to one of the patriarchs of Israel. You see, it was Jacob who was fed by God. It was Jacob who saw God face to face. It was Jacob who was one of the patriarchs of the nation of Israel. And it was Jacob, according to Genesis 32, depending on your translation, either wrestled with an angel of the Lord or wrestled with the Lord himself. Now, many scholars, many many liberal theologians at this point would want to tell you that that moment in Genesis 32 where Jacob is actually wrestling with God is a moment that should be celebrated because Jacob, a man, subdued God in this moment. Therefore, we too can subdue God and fight him. But the problem with that translation is that's not at all what happened. You see, God was in total control of that moment as well. It was God the creator God, who created a moment where he looked to Jacob and allowed Jacob to cling to him and not let go. So in other words, when we read that text in Genesis 32, we're not reading a fight. Rather, we're reading the faithfulness of God. So now coming back to the story in Psalm 146, the psalmist tells us that really our joy now comes from the same God who cared for Jacob, the same God who provided for Jacob, the same God who allowed Jacob to cling to him. Now again, at this point in the psalm, Jacob's not just uh, the reference to Jacob is not just referring to a single man, but rather it's referring to a nation. And so for us today, when we read the words, blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, we are also reading that Jacob is a representation of the church. So can I encourage you from this first phrase, brothers and sisters, the psalmist is literally telling us that the same God who cared for Jacob, the same God who cared for the Israelite nation, the same God who created all things is the same God who cares for the church. And this is how he showed his care. God chose the church. God redeemed the church. God called the church, defined body of believers, the individuals, you and me, called us to himself. You see, we have what we have because the creator God of the universe has given it. We cling to God through his word because the God who gave us the word, who created the moment, has allowed us to do so. You see, I think at this point, the psalmist would be saying to us, look, the same God who led the nation of Israel, the same God who brought deliverance for his people, the same God who cared for the fathers of a nation is the same God today who helps us. And by help, 
Here's what we mean. God is the God who pours out his grace upon his people. God is the same God who cares for us during our sickness. God is the same God who offers up hope during our affliction. God is the same God who who helps us all the way to the last day when we are then ushered into heaven. He is the same creator God who stands with us when the enemies of this world come after us. And he is the same God who created all things and providentially laid out his plan for our lives. And he now walks with us all the way to glory. That is our God. You see, this is important for us because many people come into this season. They come into Christmas and they come in with with hardships and they come in with heartache. If I could just be honest for a moment, there have been times in this year where I would argue that 2022 has probably been one of the hardest years of my life. Not only as a father and a husband, but as a pastor and a brother in Christ as well. There have been moments where like you, I have sat on my floor in tears, looking around, asking the question, where is God in this moment? I imagine many of you have probably found yourself at some point in this year saying the same thing. And here is the encouragement that we now take from the first part of this verse in Psalm 146. The psalmist is saying to us this, you ask, where is God? And you're asking the wrong question. The question is this, where are you? Because God has been with you from the beginning. He has not gone anywhere. You're the one that went somewhere. He has stayed with you. Now we know this because when you look at the first part of Psalm 146, you see kind of this repetition happening of God with us carried over into the Great Commission itself. Matthew chapter 28, everybody knows the Great Commission. In fact, most people know the beginning of the Great Commission. They don't really understand the middle of it. We'll have to get into that a little bit later at some point. But at the very end of it, we miss these words where Jesus says, and know that I am with you always to the very end of the age. Brothers and sisters in Christ, can I just encourage you for a moment that the creator, God of the universe, is with you. Our Messiah is with us. We are never alone. The God who created all things, the God who created me, the God who created you, that God is with us. And he says he's going to be with us until the very end. Man, what a promise we have in the Lord. But notice the encouragement continues as we continue walking in our text. The psalmist tells us whose hope is in the Lord, his God. You see, the God who is Emmanuel, meaning God with us, is now the God that we can hope in for salvation. We can hope in for righteousness and for eternal life that is provided through Christ alone. You see, our hope is comes from him. And when we place our hope in God, the creator, then our joy will be found in him because he has created all things. And so as believers, we will never have need or hope or lack of trust or have to put our need or hope or trust in other things because we see that all we need is found in Christ and Christ alone. He continues in verse 6. And he says this, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them. 
Now notice here, the psalmist tells us in this passage, it really encompasses all of creation. He is literally saying the God of Jacob, the God who walks with you, the God who has redeemed you, the God who has restored you, he is the God who has done all the work. The heavens, God did that. The earth, God created that. All that is in the seas, God is the one who established that. All that is on the land, God is the one who set that division and created order. God is the one who created all things, and therefore it is God who is the one who deserves all praise. I mean, just think about that for a moment. I got to tell you, last night we had, a, we had a lot of fun in my neighborhood. We, my family and I uh, walked around. We got out of the house, checked out Christmas lights, got to look up, see the moon, the stars. I think it's really cool when it's like a full moon. I know teachers don't like full moons. Most people don't like full moons. I kind of do, and it's because I don't have your job, thanks be to God. Okay? And I, I love how when the moon starts to come up, it looks massive. And I mean, my kids are floored by it. My younger ones especially are like, wow, dad, look how big the moon is. I'm like, yeah, it's pretty awesome. And then it keeps going up and it kind of gets further and further away, but it's still super bright. And we were looking up and I've got this great app that uh, Jonathan Smith introduced me to on my phone that kind of shows you what stars and constellations are. And you can see the planets. And so I'm kind of pointing it out like I'm, a, like I'm Bill Nye, the science guy, even though I'm really not, you know? But the beauty of it is I'm able to look up in the heavens and I'm talking to my kids and we're looking at it with awe and wonder. And, and I can literally look at them and say, man, when you see all this stuff, you can literally look at it and say, God did that. When you go to the beach, you see the waves crashing in, coming and going, kids playing in the sand, playing in the water, birds stealing your Cheetos. God did that. You go to the mountains, you see the mist and the fog roll over the mountains. Maybe you get up there in the fall and you see the leaves change. And all of a sudden, greens turn into beautiful reds and golds. Maybe you, you've never experienced snow, but you've gone to the mountains and you've seen snow and you're like, look at this amazingness. Or in Georgia, when I lived there, we called it the horror. You can still look at it and say, but God did that. You see, the psalmist is now leading the readers to pause and reflect upon what God can do and what God has created, which is all things. And he's leading them to this question. Now tell me today, what is it that God cannot do? Paul actually asked the same question when you look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. He says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, uh, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Notice here that both the psalmist and Paul would agree that just as we read in John chapter 1, Jesus, who is a part of the triune God, who was there with God in the beginning, was God, yet distinct and yet equal, is both mighty God seen in creation and at the same time is the mighty Savior of the world who we can now place our trust and hope in. So Christian, do me a favor, and in this season, don't miss the wonder and the awe and the hope and the power that comes from knowing the Messiah that we get to come together and praise each and every Sunday and we get to praise each and every day throughout the week. The psalmist continues as if it wasn't enough that he made the heaven and the earth. He says this, he says, who keeps faith forever. Now notice here that the psalmist is now talking about the truth of the doctrine or very, or very yet the truth of the word of God. You see, when it came to Jesus Christ upon his coming, we see that Jesus came and he did not conceal the truth of God, but rather he revealed the promises that were made by him, made in him, and thus revealed the prophecies that were fulfilled through him. 
And so notice that we see from God the Creator, the psalmist now calls the church to sing for joy because the one to come, the one that we know has come, is the same one who, according to the text, keeps faith by showing the way to eternal life, which is through Him, our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. You see, all that we need, all that we need to know to praise the Lord can be found in knowing the God who created the world, and He's the same God who created and gave us the Word. And so through the fulfillment of the word, we can praise the Lord because it's in the word through Christ that we see that our eternity is now secure in him. And so Christian, let me ask you, do you see that you can now sing for joy because the God who creates is also the one who came to lead us through life and lead us into life everlasting? We have all that we need because of Jesus Christ. And he is the one who has authority over all things. So church, because God is the creator, let me encourage you to sing for joy. Secondly, we see in verses 7 through 9 that we can sing for joy, not only because God is the creator, but because God is the sustainer. Now, again, as if having all authority over all creation wasn't enough. Now notice the psalmist teaches us that the church that, that the church can now sing because that same creator God is now the God who also sustains us through all things. So notice what we learn about God and his ability to sustain us. Verse 7, he says, who executes justice for the oppressed. In other words, God will come to break all who are oppressed. We see this through the gospels, through the coming of Jesus Christ. So notice what Jesus has offered to us today. If you were here and you were being oppressed with the burden of sin, you can lay that before the Lord because he will break that for you. If you were here today standing condemned in the flesh, then notice that Jesus Christ can come and takes that condemnation off of you through his justification. If you are here today feeling oppressed because of the attacks of the devil and you feel that you're being held captive by him, then good news, Jesus Christ has come and he will defeat Satan and the enemies of darkness. And so you need now to not live in fear. But pay attention to what we're saying about God today as he sustains us. Because you see, through Christ, he has come to redeem us. Through Christ, he has set us free. Through Christ, he has now destroyed the evils of this world so that no weapon formed against us shall prosper. You see, this is the beauty of the reminder of the Advent. This is kind of why we we started doing Advent uh, each and every Christmas season. So that we as believers can see and be reminded that, that justice came in the form of a miracle birth which led to a salvation that is found in the resurrection of the Messiah and will be sustained or upheld until the day the righteous judge comes again to bring justice for his people. You see, the Advent reminds us that not only has Christ come and he will come again, but it reminds us that God's order has been and will be restored. 
We will one day enter the kingdom of God as sons and daughters of the Most High King. And no one or nothing can ever take that from us. As if that wasn't enough encouragement. Not only does he execute justice for the oppressed, but notice in the text, we continue, he gives food for the hungry. Now again, in the word, we see this played out in the literal sense when God provided manna and quail as the people of God wandered through the wilderness. Fast forward to the Gospels, and we see Jesus sustaining the people by feeding them the fish and loaves. But we also now have to recognize that there's a spiritual sense of being fed uh, this morning that the psalmist is now writing about. You see, all of us, before we came to faith in Christ, were found in a place of desolation. We were desperate. We were starving for righteousness that we could not find or provide on our own. And so it was Jesus Christ who came. It was Christ, through God being the sustainer, offered himself as the bread of life. And it was his grace that would become the water of life. Thus we are now sustained by him and through him because he gave himself. But the beauty of it is, it only gets better. During the ministry of Jesus Christ, after the resurrection and beyond as we read through the New Testament, as churches were being planted, as the gospel was being spread, it was God who sustained us by giving us the word of God that starts out as spiritual milk for new believers. But as we grow in our faith and mature in our faith and grow in our righteousness and understanding, the milk becomes meat as we continue to read. So notice how God has sustained us. It was God who filled us with what we need to get through every day. It is God who satisfies the hungry soul. And again, the psalmist is not done from there. Listen to the encouragement as it continues to pile on. The very next text, he says, and it's the Lord who sets the prisoners free. Again, it was the Lord who set us free from our bondage of sin. It's the Lord who sets us free from sickness. It's the Lord who sets us free from disease. The Lord sustains us by breaking the bondage of sin and opening the gates so that the captives can be free. Do you realize a day is coming where we will not deal with disease anymore? Do you realize a day is coming where cancer will be no more? A day is coming where violence and hate and evil, which is a disease, will be no more. And the beauty is this. Jesus Christ is the one who holds the keys. And it's Jesus Christ who will open the gates. It was Christ who opened the gate for us and set us free from our sin. Thanks be to God. I love what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says about this moment while in prison, suffering as an enemy of the state. He said this, life in a prison cell may be compared to Advent. One waits, one hopes. He does this, that, or the other, things that are of really no real consequence. The door is shut and can can only be opened from the outside. Christian, we know the one who has the keys. We know the one who opens the gate. We know the one who has set us free. And he's the same one who sustains us today. 
Christians, today, I don't know where you are, but today we can sing for joy because it was God through Christ who opened the prison doors and only he could do that. You couldn't do it on your own. I couldn't do it on our own. At best, we're like the the characters on the pirates sticking the bone out, hoping the dog will bring us the keys. That's as good as it gets for us. Jesus Christ is the gatekeeper. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the only one who can open the gate. He is the only one who could set us free. Again, as if that were the end of the story. It is not. Notice verse 8. He continues, not only does he set the captives free, but he says this, God sustains us by allowing the Lord who opens the eyes of the blind. So not only do we see this played out in the miracles of Jesus as he causes the blind to see, but it was Jesus Christ who has now opened our eyes as well through his word so that we can now learn how uh, who God is and we can have a better understanding of who God is. We learn through the word what sin is and how to avoid it. We learn how to recognize the dangers around us. We also learn through the word how to pursue righteousness or the righteousness that it is now that God has called us to. He has opened our eyes and he did it through his word. You see, the ministry of the word and the work of Christ, according to John Gill, are the eye salve that we need in order to be sustained through this life. And again, as if that wasn't enough. I don't know about you, but man, I'm getting encouraged by this. It's like, it's like walking into Christmas, not expecting anything, and then all of a sudden people bring you present after present after present after present after present. Like this just keeps getting better. That's what the psalmist is trying to tell us here. He goes on in the text and he says, the Lord now lifts up those who are bowed down. Now again, Jesus literally does this in the Gospel of Luke chapter 13 when he healed the poor woman who had been bent down for 18 years. But at the same time, it was Jesus Christ though, uh, for, who in our lives, when we are now heavy laden with sin, bent over because of our sin and the burden therein, it is Jesus who has now come to take that burden from us and to take it upon himself. In fact, he says that he's willing to do so. Matthew 11, 28 through 29, he says, Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest. For your souls. Man, brothers and sisters, are you feeling burdened today? Are you feeling the weight of something today? Can I just encourage you to allow Jesus Christ to lift your soul? Be reminded that He can and will and is capable of carrying your burden, that He has come to do that very thing, and one day He's going to come again and He is going to wipe that burden into obliteration. It is literally just going to evaporate. But then the psalmist continues. I mean, come on. In the text, he says, the Lord loves the righteous. Again, man, if if your blood is just not pumping right now with excitement about what it is the Lord has done for you uh, and and ready to burst in the song because of what Jesus Christ has done, then, then maybe there's a disconnect. And if that's so, raise your hand. I'll start this whole sermon over. We'll try again. Okay? Notice what the psalmist teaches us. The Lord loves the righteous. He teaches us that for those who have had the righteousness of Jesus Christ imputed on them by faith, you now also have the love of Jesus Christ on you. I mean, just think about that for a moment. It's like telling someone you love them over and over and over again because you desire for them to know. You want them to know. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, man, that's one thing. My my family tell you I drive them nuts with it. 
Because no matter what happens in my life and in my family, I want my family to know that I love them, okay? Whether in the moment I'm being super dad or whether it's a moment of, of questioning dad what you're doing, I want my family to know that I love them. And so I tell them every chance I get. Every chance I get. You see, this is the way Jesus Christ is with us. Every day as believers in Christ, it's the Lord who sustains us. Every day is another day that Jesus Christ looks upon us. And this is what he says to us. He says, I love you. I love you. Every single day. And so as believers today, we have no reason to doubt his love for us. Verse 9. The psalmist continues, he says, the Lord watches over the sojourner and he upholds the widow and the fatherless. Again, we are acknowledging that we are now strangers and aliens to this place. And yet it was Christ who laid down his life for us. Now, the psalmist here mentions the widow and the fatherless, talking about those who in their distress and their troubles really have no helper. In fact, the people that he's speaking of at this point are the spiritually destitute, even the lowest of lows in Jewish culture, which would have been the fatherless and the widow. And so what the psalmist says to them is because God who sustains, that we now know God sustained us through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, we, as the lowest of lows, dead to our sin, now have a place at the table. Why? Because Jesus Christ came. Because Jesus Christ, in our lowest moments, visited with us, cared for us, relieved us, supplied us with all that we needed and offered us salvation. You see, Christ will provide all that we need even when we have nothing to offer. Let me just kind of unpack that a little bit and give you an idea of what I'm talking about. Jesus does not care about your status. Okay? Jesus does not care about your or my place in the world order. He cares about us. He doesn't care about our position. He doesn't care about our wealth or lack thereof. He doesn't care about what state we live in, whether it's the state of Florida or the state of confusion. He cares about us. So why do I share that with you? since he is the God who sustains. Because here's the reality. When it comes to Jesus Christ, you don't have to fake who you are to receive the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. You no longer have to fake it. He continues in the text and he makes a change. And he says this, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. Notice what the psalmist is now saying. He acknowledges that there will be those who seek righteousness and they seek it for their own gain. There will be those who seek righteousness and they seek it for their own glory. He says this of them. He says they will never find it. They will keep seeking and no amount of popularity or plan will ever satisfy them. The power they think they have will never prevail against Christ's church. So Christian, hear this. We can sing for joy because we know that we have a God who sustains us. And then pay attention to all that he has done to sustain us to this point. If you go back and and just look throughout this text, going all the way back to verse 7, we see words like this. 
He executes. He gives. He sets. He opens. He lifts. He loves. He watches. He upholds. And this is what He does to sustain His people. Can I ask you this question? What else do you have in life that can do those things? The answer is nothing. Only Christ. That's what allows us to be able to sing hallelujah. All I have is Christ. This leads to our third and final point for this morning, which is found in verse 10. We can not only sing for joy because God is the creator, sing for joy because God is the sustainer, but now we can sing for joy because God is the great king. So you see, after after knowing all that is to come by God through Jesus Christ, the psalmist now brings us back to the fact that God alone is our great king. Verse 10, he says, The Lord will reign forever, your God, O Zion, to all generations. The Messiah is the king of kings. The the Messiah is the Lord of lords, and and he shall reign forever and ever and ever. Does anybody else here in Handel's Messiah at this point? Okay, if you don't know what I'm talking about, clearly your parents never put you in choir. Okay, if, if you that like should be should like be a rite of passage for people to sing Handel's Messiah, but that's literally what's being said in verse ten. His kingdom to come is an everlasting kingdom. His kingdom to come is not only everlasting, but it is in filled with His glory. It is filled with His majesty. But then notice that in referencing O Zion to all generations, we are now being reminded that He alone is the head of the church and nothing will ever change that. In fact, He will remain the head of the church for all generations. And so I want to tell you, this is good news for the church today. In a day where more and more people are mocking Jesus Christ, in a day where more and more people are turning away from the Word of God, in a day where more and more people are, are going to, to churches that are, that are canceling for a thousand different reasons, in a day where more and more people are, are going to churches that are turning away from the Bible, we can rest in the hope of knowing that there will always be Christ's church where He alone is still King regardless of what may happen around us. There will always be a church where the word of God is faithfully proclaimed. And this is good news for us. Because since we know that Jesus Christ will always be the head of the church, we can come together and praise God for the gathered body of believers as we gather around the word. And we can praise God for believers throughout our community and throughout our nation and throughout the world who gather together around the word of God. And they simply come together for the purpose of praising God. And they're not there for the show. They're just there for Jesus. Because he's called them to himself. You see, this is kind of why in, the, in the, the pastoral prayer that we do at the beginning of the message, this is why we are praying for faithful missionaries who are planting churches. This is why we are praying for churches in our area and throughout the nation. Because the reality is this, I don't know if you've been paying attention or not, but we need more gospel-centered churches. We need more churches that faithfully preach the word of God. And so together with the psalmist, we can praise God throughout the generations, knowing that God is starting new churches, knowing that God is revitalizing churches. He is starting new works and new plants that are happening all over the world. And so we see churches working and acting as emissaries for the kingdom to come that is found in knowing him through his word.
And then here's what happens. We come back to our text and we hit our last thought, which is a declaration of joy where the psalmist says, in light of all these things, praise the Lord. Because he is creator, praise the Lord. Because he is sustainer, praise the Lord. Because he is the great king, praise the Lord. Because he has come, because he will come again, I will shout hallelujah. Praise the Lord for what it is that he has done. And thus our psalm ends the way it began. Looking to God. Looking on all that God is. All that God has done. All that he can do. And simply marveling and wondering and worship and saying, Praise the Lord. Christians, the great king has come. And the great king is coming again. He doesn't rule from a distance. He is with us. He provides for us. He sustains us. And because of the love that God has shown us, because of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ and his coming, that that we have seen and the coming that we will see again, we now have all the reason we need to sing for joy. So church, let me encourage you. Keep on singing. Church, sing loud. Because Advent reminds us that we have reason to sing. Christ has come. Christ is coming again. So sing, church. Sing for joy. Man, let's pray together.